You're listening to the Behavioral Wealth Podcast with Dr. Dan Pallison. Dr. Dan is a licensed clinical psychologist, a speaker, and a financial advisor. He serves as the Chief of Investor Behavior at Keystone Wealth Partners. Dr. Dan is passionate about helping people tap into the behaviors that bring about wealth, health, and happiness. And now, here's Dr. Dan. Hey, welcome to the Behavioral Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, James Earl Jones. Look, I woke up this morning, I had zero voice, and this is as good as it gets. I got that smooth, sick, baritone voice. I think I can start singing The Grinch. How great is The Grinch, by the way? The, the song itself, just the story, we're, uh, we're here in December, it's Christmas season in our house. I've got a, the three-year-old, so we've, we've got a lot of Grinch, and we've got Grinch options, right? There's the original Grinch cartoon, there's the Jim Carrey version. And then more recently, there's the animated Grinch. Um, and so so Scott asks to watch the Grinch a lot. And then we have to ask him, which Grinch? Is it Cartoon Grinch? That's the original. Is it actually, no, that's Old Grinch. Old Grinch is the original. Cartoon Grinch is the new one. And then there's Creepy Grinch. Uh, and that's the Jim Carrey. And Scott actually likes Creepy Grinch a lot. I think that's my favorite too. But, uh, but anyway, um, yeah, I, I have kids, as you know, because I talk about them nonstop on the podcast, and my kids are sick all the time, which means I get sick pretty often, um, and I woke up with no voice. I didn't even know if I could record the podcast today, but thankfully, the, the voice came back. I've been sucking down hot coffee. I think I'm supposed to drink tea, uh, but I'm such a coffee enthusiast, so I assume the, the warm coffee maybe is opening the, uh, the voice up the throat up. I have no idea. But this is where we are today. So this is who you get. You know, I, I was kind of thinking about it, though. And what I want to talk about today is is risk um, and exposure to risk and planning around risk. And what got me thinking was today when I woke up without a voice, I thought, oh, my goodness, I, I can't even hold meetings today. I might not be able to record the podcast today. And, and, and thankfully, the podcast is not the my primary source of income. If I can't record the podcast, my, I don't get paid, right? I, I, that's not the situation that I'm in. So it doesn't hurt my family financially if I have a day where I can't use my voice. But if this happened over and over again, if, if I couldn't talk, I mean, that's a big problem for me in an industry uh, where I talk to people and I, and I listen to people and I ask questions and I understand what's going on with their relationship with money. I mean, if I lost my voice for the long term, that could be really devastating. So that's what got me thinking about risk and risk planning. I want to define risk. Risk is the possibility of loss. Risk is the possibility of loss. It's not loss itself. Loss is like I lost my job or I lost hours at my job, right? I know during the pandemic, a lot of people either lost their jobs straight up or they were furloughed or they their full-time got cut down to part-time and they lost hours. So it's an actual loss of some income or maybe they lost childcare that we were in a situation like that where we lost the opportunity to have childcare because schools and preschools are shut down and so there's real loss in your life and when you when you have real loss in your life you have to adjust to that you, you're if i lost a job my family couldn't continue to spend the way that we spend we'd have to make some adjustments i'd either have to go out immediately find another line of work uh, or another job uh, or um, if i can't do that we would have to look at how to cut spending um, and what what can go right? What are some of the the things that we can uh, trim down? Uh, and uh, and so the point being is when there's real loss, we're forced to make adjustments. But when there's the possibility of loss, 
it's not in our face as often. And so a lot of us don't feel the urgency to make some adjustments or to plan for that possibility of loss. But I would argue that the possibility of loss, which is, you know, AKA risk is extremely important to look at within your financial plan. Where are you exposed to risk? And what can you do if you have an overexposure to risk? So let's divide risk itself in, into different categories. So, so we can we can have risk. Uh, we can look at risk severity. Risk, the possibility of loss, can either come with you know low severity or really high severity, and it can also be divided between frequency. We, we can be exposed to risk very frequently. Um, or it can come with very low frequency where we're not exposed to it a lot. So if we divide it into these categories of high or low severity or high or low frequency, then we can start to plan a little bit better. So so let's start with with like low severity. What I mean by this is is there's a possibility of loss, but the loss isn't that big of a deal. If we if we actually lose something with low severity, it's not going to disrupt our, you know, financial plan. So so I'm going to look at like, something that's low frequency and low severity. For me, it's sunglasses. I know a lot of people lose sunglasses all the time. I actually, you know, knock on wood, I actually am really good with sunglasses. I don't lose sunglasses. I have the same sunglasses in my car that I was married in six years ago. So I, it's been six plus years that I've had this pair of sunglasses there in my car. So the likelihood that I will lose these is very low. The, the frequency with which I lose sunglasses is very low. And if I were to lose sunglasses, I would just have to get another pair of sunglasses. You can get some pretty nice, inexpensive sunglasses out there. So the, so the severity is low. And for me, with frequency with sunglasses, the loss of sunglasses is very low. Here's my absurd point. I am not going to insure my sunglasses. I'm not going to take out an insurance policy for sunglasses because, one, I don't lose them that often. And if I did, the severity is not very high. The severity is very low. What about something that's high frequency but still low severity? Pens. For me, I lose pens all the time. I don't think I've ever used the same pen twice. I'm always misplacing pens. Same thing, right? If I lose a pen, it's not that big of a deal. I just have to get another pen. Pens are very low cost, so I can buy them in bulk. I don't have to take out insurance policies on pens, even though I know I'm going to lose them. I know that. I'm still not going to spend extra money to insure you know, the pens that I use. So again, these are extreme examples, but, but anytime that there's a low severity with risk, there's not much you have to do. You don't really have to, to, you know, really plan for the loss of, of something that is just not going to impact you. So, so let's move over to high severity. Cause that's really where it matters when it comes to planning for risk. We can have something that's very high severity, meaning if, if we actually lose this, it could be devastating to ourselves or to our families or to our financial plans. And when we look at high severity risk, now we want to identify what, which is high frequency and what's low frequency. So let's start with high frequency, high severity. This again, this isn't the greatest example, but I don't do this, but let's say I rode my bike to work every day and I, and I rode on a freeway. Um, I, I, I take a pretty busy freeway in the greater Phoenix area to get to my office, but, and I obviously drive my car, but what if I rode a bike, but I insisted on driving on this, you know, really busy interstate freeway. Um, that's going to be pretty high frequency. I'm going to and from work five days a week. So that's 10, 10 times a week I'm exposed. And, and the, 
the potential for loss could be devastating. If I get hit by a car and I die, or if I get hit by a car and I'm disabled or have a major injury, I mean, that could be really devastating for my, uh, for, for my family and for our financial plan. So if I'm trying to take out an insurance policy and, and the you know, insurance company does a thorough review of, of my lifestyle, if they discover that I'm riding my bike to work every single day on the freeway, they're not likely to insure me <laughs> or they're going to you know, jack up my premiums. And I'm going to have to pay quite a bit because I have high frequency, high severity uh, by biking to work every day. So, so what's my option here? I'm probably not going to be able to insure that. So the best thing I can really do is avoid that. When you look in your life and if you have something that's high frequency, high severity, you don't have many options other than just trying to minimize that. So if I insist on riding my bike, I'm going to start taking side streets. I'm not going to expose myself to the risk of riding a bike on a freeway, you know, or I'm going to give up biking to and from work. I may take my car and just make sure I'm biking extra on the weekends. You know, the, these are ways that you can avoid risk without having to insure. You just, you just try to avoid it. But the thing I want to key in on, and I intentionally left this for last, is those items that are low frequency, but high severity. So for me and for many of us out there, that is when we're looking at death or disability. I looked up on the social security website uh, right before recording this. I wanted to see what's the probability that I will die this year. You know, I'm a, I'm a male in my late thirties. What's the probability that I will die? Um, and they have actuarial tables for all of this. So if you, if you're you know, want to go to a dark place and see what the likelihood is that you will die this year, go to, go to the social security website. Um, I have a 0.0024 chance of dying this year. Uh, so again, that's 0.24%. So I have about a quarter of 1% that I will, will die this year. That is an extremely low likelihood. That's a very low frequency that, 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 that there's a possibility that I will pass away this year. But if I die this year, I mentioned earlier, I, I have two younger kids, you know, I, I have a wife, I have a house, I have a family that I'm supporting mostly through, through my income and, and through working. And if, if I died and we suddenly lost my income, let alone just the, 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 the physical support of raising my, my kids, um, that's a really, really high severity to those remaining, to my wife and to my children. And so I, that's, an, that's an instance where I want to ensure it's a low likelihood that it'll happen, but it's a very high severity that if it were to happen, those, those that are remaining would be devastated. So that's where life insurance comes in. I, I want to insure against the likelihood that I pass away. It's also where disability insurance comes in. I may not die. If I get hit by a car and I'm up in the hospital uh, or I'm in a coma for a long period of time, I, I'm not I'm not dead. I won't, my life insurance won't kick in, but I still won't have the ability to work. I may need some disability insurance because I'm now disabled. I'm unable to provide for my family. So life insurance, disability insurance are great ways to minimize risk, especially when that risk has low frequency and high severity. I had a conversation, uh, this was probably two, three weeks ago with a younger couple, very high earners. Um, and, and I was asking them about their insurance coverage and they both sort of paused and were like, oh, we don't, we don't have life insurance. And they had young kids. You, know, you don't have life insurance. Oh, okay. It, talk to me more about it. Is this something that you're needing? Do we need to look into it? And, and, and they go, they go, no, we don't believe in insurance. 
and again, I pressed a little bit more. I said, "What you know? What's going on? Why why don't you believe in insurance?" Or what? And they said, it, it, "It's a racket. You know, it's just it's just gambling. We don't want to we don't want to enable this insurance industry because all it is is glorified gambling. And so why would we pay our our premiums in to the to an insurance company for something that's probably not going to happen? And then we just lose those premiums. See, what they were doing is is they were equating insurance coverage to gambling, and I'm going to argue that it is very different." Gambling creates risk. I'll say that again. Gambling creates risk. I'm recording this on a Thursday. The Thursday night football game tonight is Kansas City versus the, the Los Angeles Chargers. I, the, the, the producer and editor of this show, um, Eric, he's a big Kansas City Chiefs fan. Eric, I'm with you tonight, man. I'm rooting for Kansas City. The, the Chargers are dead to me. I lived in San Diego when they got ripped from the city and moved up to LA, so they are dead to me. So I'm I'm always rooting against the Chargers. I'm I'm a, I'm a Chiefs fan. So even though I kind of have a little interest in the game, there's no risk to me if if the Chiefs win or the Chargers win. It doesn't change my life in any way. There's no risk to me. But if I gamble on the game, if I put twenty dollars or a hundred dollars on the game. Now I've created some risk of losing money. I don't have to bet on a game, um, but if I choose to do that, I'm creating risk. So that's what gambling is. Gambling is creating risk and then, you know, hoping to, to benefit from it. Whereas insurance deals with risk that is already there. Whether I like it or not, I am at risk for passing away. And so I want to, I can't just put my head in the sand. I do want to address that. And so that's what insurance covers. It's not creating risk like gambling does, but it's planning for the risk that's already there. So if you have others that depend on you financially, I implore you to consider life insurance. And this isn't an episode where I'm going to end by saying, call me and I will sell you a life insurance policy. I'm just saying in general, if you have people that depend on you, if you have a spouse, if you have if you have dependents, if you have young children that are depending on you uh, for your income and for other just other support in their lives, and you don't have insurance coverage, I implore you to consider getting some life insurance. Term life insurance is is very inexpensive relative to the benefit that it that it provides. And so again, back to the social security like actuarial tables around around death and and the probability of death. And I I let you know that I have a uh, basically one quarter of 1% chance that I will die this year. But another thing they look at is is what is my life expectancy? I I mentioned I'm in my late 30s. I'm I'm, I'm approaching 40. I probably got another 40 years, you know, in terms of my life expectancy, probably even longer. So for me to take out a life insurance policy to cover me while I'm working, you know, for the next 25 years or 20 years, it's actually going to be pretty inexpensive. And and here's why, because these insurance companies are able to provide uh, uh, insurance coverage to you with a pretty hefty payout because they know that the likelihood that I will need it is very, very low. It's very likely and probabilistically, I will not pass away before I retire. I mean, some people do, but the majority of people do not. And so we're going to use this law of large numbers in our favor when we're passing off the risk that we're, you know, that's sitting on our shoulders. We're passing that risk off to the insurance company by paying, you know, a relatively smaller premium, but to have them step in and, and pay out my family in a large way. If I were to pass away, I, I hope I made that clear. But I, another way to state that is, again, it's very unlikely that I will die before I retire. But in the small chance that I do, 
the life insurance company will step in and provide for my family. And the reason that they're able to do that is they have thousands, if not hundreds of thousands or millions of people around the country, around the world that are doing the same thing. They're, we're all paying these smaller premiums to the, to the company. Uh, and the company knows that they will have to pay out some of these policies. Some people will pass away before the, the term expires on their insurance. But they also know that the likelihood that everyone will is, is almost you know zero. It's very, very unlikely. And so they've worked through these actuarial tables to know you know, how much can they be charging with the amount of, of clients and customers that they have to be able to provide this insurance. So uh, all that to say, sorry to, if we got lost in the numbers there, but but if you don't have life insurance and you have dependents relying on you, please look into it. Or if you do have some insurance, but it may not be, it may not cover for for enough, you know, please take a look at that, especially this time of year. You know, it's end of year. We, we're sort of resetting and, and re-looking re at uh, our our financial lives moving forward, make make this a part of it too. This being the the analysis of your exposure to risk as part of your annual review with, with yourself or with your spouse. Um, I want to end here talking about disability insurance. So just like life insurance is a way to, to prevent um, the, the devastation to your family in, in your in in the event of your death, disability insurance steps in and will pay you and your family if you are unable to work. Disability insurance is more expensive than term life insurance because, again, the likelihood that you will need it is actually higher. When you think about it, if, if you need disability insurance, it's because something happened to you that you are now unable to work. Not only have you not passed away, I mean, if you pass away, that's one thing. But if, you, if you're still living, and especially if you're disabled, you actually might have an increase in cost. You might have an increase in medical costs because of the disability. So not, not only are your costs rising your your income has been lessened because you don't have the ability to work. There's some statistics around disability insurance. Half of all employees will experience a disability of 90 days or longer during their working years. I'll say that again. Half of you out there, half of us out you know listening to this podcast, half of us will have a disability at some point during our working careers that lasts 90 days or longer. And one out of 10 uh, American workers can expect to be permanently disabled before 65. This is not one quarter of 1% that I'm going to pass away this year. We're talking 10% of people out there will be disabled before 65. 65 is sort of a target date for retirement. So another way to say that is about one in 10 people will be forced to retire earlier than they were planning. And do you have the coverage for that? Not all disability insurance is created equal. If you if you have disability insurance, you know one good for you. Two, you may want to review that policy really quick because there's there's a definition or a term that's very important when it comes to disability insurance, and this is this is called own occupation insurance. So you can be you can be insured in the event of a disability, but you want to know are you insured for your own occupation or just in general? Here's the difference. You can have a disability insurance policy that covers you if you have no ability to work. If you're completely disabled and you're unable to work, then your policy will kick in. If you are a, a high earner in a specialty field, you may need to look at getting own occupation disability insurance. What this means is you may not comp be completely disabled where you can no longer work, but you may be unable to perform your occupation. If you are a highly paid surgeon that works with your hands 
and something happens and there's an injury to your hand and you can no longer perform surgery. I mean, you may still be able to, to work in at the front desk at your hospital, checking people in and out. Um, so you may still be able to work, uh, and be paid at that level, but you may not be able to perform your own occupation anymore. And so there are disability insurance policies that can cover you in the event that you may not be completely disabled, but you can't perform your own occupation anymore. I'm a Marvel nerd. I love the Marvel movies. Um, I, so I think of Doctor Strange, right? The, the beginning of Doctor Strange, and this is <laughs> spoiler alert if you haven't seen Doctor Strange, which came out, what, five years ago? So, hey, that's on you. Doctor Strange is, is a surgeon, and he's, you know, he's cocky, he's narcissistic, and then he has a car accident, and he can't use his hands anymore, and he has this identity crisis. And so for him, you know, he, he now has to go pursue the mystic arts, and, and now he's, you know, the defender of our universe and possibly the multi multiverse. So so he ended up doing okay. Um, but if you're like Dr. Strange, if you have, if you have a very specific, uh, occupation, um, and something were to happen to you where you couldn't perform that occupation anymore, are you covered? I've got three uh, items for wrap up today. So number one, examine your risk exposure, you know, looking at the, the risk that you have, do you have high frequency and high severity risk in your, in your day to day, in your life, in your routine? If so, how can you avoid that? How can you on your own minimize those areas of risk that are high frequency and high severity? If you identify risk that's low frequency, so it, it's not likely to happen, but if it were to happen, it could be devastating. So low frequency, high severity, this is where you need to look at. Are you, are you insured? Do you have enough insurance coverage? And number two is just that, make sure you have enough coverage. There's some ways to plan for life insurance. You know, some people it's, they, they sort of reverse engineer. They, they look at, you know, how much their family is spending now and sort of draw that out over the next 10, 20 years when they're looking at how much coverage to get. Um, other people will look at their own income they say, you know, I'm, this is how much I make. And maybe you make a hundred thousand dollars a year um, and you plan to work for another 20 years. Um, and if you were to pass away right away, how much of that income would, would be lost? And so in this instance, 100,000 a year times 20 years, you know, you, that's a round number of about $2 million. You, you may need to get an insurance policy for $2 million. The, the point being is look at the coverage you have and, and just take a, a deeper look to see is that enough. And then the third one is make sure you have the right disability insurance. If you do have disability insurance, again, that's great. But just double check, is this the right policy for you and your family? A lot of us, you know, forget the type of insurance we got because at this point it might have been years and years ago. So it's good to have that coverage. It's also good to review it from time to time to make sure it's still appropriate for you and for your family and for your dependents and, and everyone who, who relies on you. So if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave an honest review. That really helps to get the word out about behavioral wealth. And before acting on anything regarding your finances, please seek the counsel of an independent financial advisor. If you're looking for a place to start, you can check out thebehavioralwealthpodcast.com where you can schedule a free phone consultation with me to help you down the path towards behavioral wealth. Thank you so much for listening. Here's to creating the rhythm in our lives that brings about wealth, health, and happiness. I'm Dr. Dan. This was the Behavioral Wealth Podcast.